Welcome to the Etobicoke Historical Society's monthly oral history podcast. This podcast is one of a series of interviews of senior Etobicoke residents in the 1980s. The interview tapes were recently discovered in the local history room at Richview Public Library. We would like to thank the Toronto Public Library for giving them back to us so they could be made into these podcasts. These oral histories are a valuable and unique view into the history of Etobicoke in the early part of the 20th century, as seen through the personal experiences of local residents. We will be presenting a different interview each month. We hope you enjoy them. Today is Friday, July 23rd, and I'm speaking to Mr. William Creech. Now, uh, Mr. Creech was born and raised in the area known as Lambton Mills. Where exactly was your family house? Uh, it was on the south side of Dundas between uh, Prince Edward Drive and Royal York Road. Now, is it still standing? No, it was torn down shortly after, and there were some stores built in front of it. It actually was at uh, 42, 45 Dundas. Now, were you born in the house? Mm-hmm. And uh, what did uh, your father do? Uh, well, he was the uh, he was a commission man for uh, selling Roberts and Brothers candies and Krusty Brown biscuits. Now, who would he sell this to? Retailers all through uh, this this area, west as far as uh, uh, Long Branch up to Milton, Georgetown, and over to the east as far as Claremont, Stoffel, and all the small villages in between. Now, would he actually carry the, uh, deliver the biscuits and candies, or is he uh, a salesman, more or less? He did when he first started out. He drove a, a wagon with a team of horses uh, and carried the, the candies and biscuits with them in the wagon. Several years later, when that got to be a little bit too heavy a chore, he uh, switched to just driving a buggy and, and a horse, horse in the buggy with uh, sample cases. And then the customer's orders were sent in and delivered direct by the suppliers. Now how long, What? when did he start doing this and do you remember? Did he start doing this after you were born or? Oh yes, yes, after, before, uh, before he started uh, with Robertson Brothers, he, he used to work with his father in the building. His father was a builder, and he worked as a carpenter with him on his building until he was, I don't know just what age, in his early 20s, I guess. Would that be locally, or was that in Toronto he worked? Well, they used to build, my grandfather built churches, schools, and as well as houses in the as far uh, east as a uh, little village north of Oshawa, the church there now that he built, and all through this area, he built uh, his schools out 
On the west of the Clareville Road, there, there's a school or two in there that he built years ago. Are they still standing, or? I couldn't tell you whether they are or not. I know the church down at uh, north of Oshawa is still standing. Are there any other local buildings that he built or helped build uh, that are still standing, do you know? Well, they, the one that was the Methodist Church on Dundas Street, uh, just west of the Humber, uh, <clears throat> it was when the new Kingsway Lampton Church, uh, United Church, started, was started. It developed from the Methodist Church in Lampton. And at that time after that, some years after that, the church was uh, sold. It's now in use as, um, I don't know whether it's antiques they have there now or, or furniture of some kind. But they built, they used the building, but they have a, a long front uh, show place on the front of it. Which they built onto it. Which they built onto it. But you can see the top of the church, uh, the window, the colored window up at the top and uh, so on. You can still see from the last street. And I think you can, uh, somebody told me not too long ago that four or five years ago they were able to go in and the people let them go up and uh, look through that part. I don't know, just there'd be too much there now to actually involve, was involved in those church. Now, uh, what uh, what schools did you go to? The uh, Lampton Mills Public School and Humberside Collegiate. And what sort of um, school was that? Lampton Mills was a one-room schoolhouse? Uh, it was started as a one-room schoolhouse. Uh, in 1875, I think it was one room, and I think 1885, it was enlarged to two rooms. So it was a fairly large that, size. That was built by my grandfather, of course. And, uh, Your grandfather's uh, name is Mead? Mead. 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 And uh, so it was a two-room school when I went there. And it was, I guess, continued that way until they built the first of the new school and 19 was opened in January, I think 1918, a four-room school, and it's been enlarged and enlarged several times since. Now, um, what, uh, as a boy, what would, uh, where would you play with other, with other mates? Oh, <coughs> and, uh, yeah summertime we used to be able to play on the school grounds with uh, games of baseball or that type of thing. And Were these pickup games or? Uh, oh, a lot of them would be, yes. But there was an organized league. Uh, a little later on in the, well I guess shortly before the first war I guess they started to get uh, kind of a league operating, but uh, mostly after that there was more organized. Uh, and we, oh, we used to go down and play uh, games down south of, south of uh, Bloor Street, I think. We used to play teams down there from uh, that area. The odd game might sometimes from Islington and but the, uh, you were right on the Humber River. 
Did you ever go swimming or anything in the Humber? Well, there used to be a lot of swimming in the Humber. It used to be, uh, and what's the uh, regatta club that was organized? They were a little older fellows than I was at the time, and uh, they used to run regattas there uh, from time to time, canoe races and uh, swimming races, diving, and so on. This, okay, this was. Uh uh, was the Humber deep enough to do that? Or? Yes, because of the dam there. This, the dam this was, uh, was operated from north of the dam. Now the dam would have been located? Which was north of the old Dundas Street Bridge. Now what was it, the dam there for? It was, uh, it was there to operate the Howland and Elliott uh, flour mill, which was on the east side of the river, right at Dundas Street. Uh, now they this this regatta club they uh was it just canoeing or did they have rowing shells or no they had no rowing shells that I'm aware of I think maybe it uh, may not have been too many interested in that at that time I imagine maybe the equipment would cost too much I don't know but I don't recall ever seeing any rowing shells. Or but there used to be a lot of canoe races and uh, that's mainly what Did you ever participate in any of the races or? No, it was usually I was, well I guess in my early teens I guess when that started, so it was the older chaps that were in the, in the races. That Remember uh, when the uh, regatta club went on till? What year it went uh, till? No, I couldn't. I wouldn't have any idea right now. The I'm depression time would, or earlier? Or I don't know whether it carried on right until I think it. I'm not sure whether it carried on up until that time or not. I could probably find out. I'll try and find out and let you know later. Now, um, did they have any dances or anything like that at the clubhouse? Yes, they used to run occasional dances uh, in the clubhouse. Another under other entertainments like kind of garden parties and so on. Occasionally had a, a military band, usually the Forty Eight Islanders. Did anyone any one party uh, stick out in your mind as being very good or really bad? Uh, no, I can't re recall any one particular more than uh, than the and the other. And of course, we in the winter time we used to skate on Humber. Could skate if the ice was in good shape. I mean, it had frozen level, no roughness on it. You could skate way up to north of where the present CPR. Uh, railway bridges. Would that be Weston or? No, it's no, it's uh, maybe a half mile, a little over a half mile back up the river from Dundas. Actually, they could they could go quite a little piece north of that, up almost to where the uh, the Lampton Golf Club grounds touch the river. Now, uh, where well else would people meet um, in Lampton Mills? Is there any particular spots where you could always 
find someone you know to catch up on the gossip? Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know of any particular spots except the, where they had the church, uh, church meetings and so on through the week, the Young People's Association. Now this would be the Methodist Church? Yes. Now, uh, the, there wasn't any sort of meeting halls or? Uh, there was a meeting hall. It was the Orange Hall at one time on what is now Arlington Avenue. I don't know whether it was name was the same at that time or not, but just uh, a few yards south of Dundas Street. And it was used uh, to some extent for uh, community get-togethers and so on. If they, but I don't know whether there was anything organized carrying on. It was just used, you know, the group wanted to run something. Was it then the, <coughs> at one time then, the Orange, Orange, or Orangemen, I guess, would be a fairly popular organization then? They were back in the, yes, in the early 1900s, right up, well, I guess, till I don't know when they finally pulled out of there, but uh, membership, I guess, just kept dropping and they just disbanded or, or amalgamated with somebody else. Now, were they any, what, uh, what groups would use the Orange Hall? Uh, well, outside of their membership, I, I think if any group actually wanted to operate, run a dance or something, I think they usually could uh, run it, you know, for the occasion. Would, would any of the uh, churches use it? Uh, I, I can't say they, they did, as far as I know, not, uh, I, it may have been used by some groups after the Orange Lodge in the area disbanded. It might have been used by, but I couldn't uh, definitely. Now, um, your father wasn't a farmer. Uh, what's Pardon? would uh, would your family grow anything on your property at the family house? Oh yes, we used to have. Well, uh, we had an orchard there where the house was, and uh, but. My father also had about seven acres on the south side of Government Road, right immediately back of the Dundas Street property. Who did he buy that from? Uh, I, I think that all that area, that farm, I think it belonged to uh, some group in connection with the Anglican Church. I forget what the actual name was owned by, you know, I don't know the names of their uh, organization, but there would be people around could, you could get that from, I think. But it was, they had decided uh, to eventually to sell the property, and, and my father bought seven acres there. Other, other people bought other lots, similar sizes, and, and he did some, uh, we had a garden of our own, we had raspberries, strawberries, 
that kind of thing. But he also ran the uh, uh, sheep on there. He used to have a fair-sized flock of sheep one time. Ten, twenty more? Oh, he'd have at least uh, twenty or thirty. How about uh, cows? And he uh, had one cow for good many years. That was just like to provide your own milk. Provided our own milk. And uh, did he grow any grain at all, or was yes, he used to grow uh, grain. He also, of course, had the horses uh, when he was driving the wagon. Then he had some uh, ponies as well. He was quite into interested in uh, smaller ponies. He used in Shetland, to, or he had some Shetlands, and he had some which were slightly bigger than that. He used to show them around at the local fairs and also at the Canadian National Exhibition. He had, uh, he had two or three that he used to show down there. And Did he win any prizes? Yes, he used to win a fair number of prizes. My, uh, my younger brothers and younger sister used to do the riding showing them as, uh, I don't know what they called the name of the class, but uh, they'd be riding. It wouldn't be any jumping or anything. But, uh, I'm, I'm not well enough up on the <laughs> what the actual names of the types of class they were. But. Now you said you had an orchard. What, uh, what type of fruits would be? Uh, mostly apples, apples and pear trees and, and uh, some cherry trees, two or three cherry cherry trees. We also had some cherry trees back on the other part of the, we had a fair number back there, maybe a dozen cherry trees back there. Now, uh, Lampton Tavern, uh, was that a fairly popular spot then? Oh yes, it was always, of course it's not in Etobicoke, but it was still, that was, also known as Lampton Mills, you see, both sides of the river at that time. But it was just uh, east of the Humber. It's still there, I guess. Uh, back in there, uh, somebody wanted, it was in the papers re uh, recently, within the last few months, somebody wanted to kind of take it over and operate it as a, more or less a recreation center, I think that type of, for the, there are a lot of apartment buildings around there now, but the fellow that's now, I don't think he owns it, but he has a 10-year, had a 10-year lease, it said in the paper, and he wasn't too keen on giving it up, I don't think, and I think since then, there's been some change in their proposition. They would, uh, I know they wanted to, uh, still want to, uh, would like to take it over and build something else, but they agreed that they would preserve it as a kind of a center, recreation center or it's Did, uh, back, uh, uh, back then, uh, in the earliest part, earlier part of the century, did uh, locals frown upon its operation? To be serving alcohol there, I would imagine. Oh, yes. Oh, I don't think so. No, hotels were quite plentiful. <laughs> Those days, see, there was no I don't, there were no hotels in West Toronto, and there still are no hotels there. So they, 
Bond used to come out there was the, the second hotel was up at the top of the hill east of Ombre there. there was also a hotel there which, so there were the two of them only two or three hundred yards apart. Fierce competition but, then. <laughs> and then as far as I know the next one must have been way down east of Keel Street. Now, uh, the one they called the Pines or something down there somewhere. So they had uh, lots of business there, they were, especially on Saturdays. How about holidays? The, evening. Mm -hmm. the uh, now Lambton Mills, as you said, was uh, on both sides of the river. Yeah. Did um, people associate with each other across the river, or was it? Oh yes, they used to. They used to come from east of the river to the Lambton Mills school. The park that's now known as Warren Park. And from there, oh, pretty well east to east of Scarlet Road, I guess. Maybe, I don't know whether they came from as far as Jane Street or not. They might have. So it was, despite it being split by the river, it was still a community. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Now, um, what about uh, the businesses in uh, um, Lampton Mills? What, uh, what sort of businesses operated there? Well, there were ma mainly, uh, there were Holland and Elliott's uh, grocery store and also the head office for their flour mill across the street. It was on the north side of Dundas, east of the Humber. And the post office for the district for Lamp Mills was also there. And, uh, that, and it was a mainly a grocery store. In general, uh, I suppose, some hardware lines, things like that, a general store. Uh, then there were uh, a couple of other grocery stores up the west of the Humber. There's a man named Fitz, Fitzpatrick ran one, also mainly a grocery store. And another was operated by Jack Lawrence. And there was a a butcher shop, uh, which was run by the Clayton family, William Clayton, I guess was the. Uh, now, is that the same Clayton family has a butcher shop down in uh, Islington? It was uh, their father that, at least their grandfather, I guess, had started the, or had the one in Lamp Mills. It was right opposite where Prince Edward Drive on the north side of Dundas. Yes, and his son, Fred Clayton, was the one that first started the Clayton Butcher Shop in Islington. And then his sons carried it on for some time until they sold out, I believe. No, and there was, uh, and then a little later after the Holland and Elliott uh, store closed up on the east of Umber, a man named Harry Phillips who uh, had been the head uh, man for Allen and Elliot for in the, in the one east of Humbry. Uh, built a store on Dundas at Erlington, corner of Erlington. What, what, but what year would that be? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you that exact year either, but his, his son, Bill Phillips, William Phillips, was still around, and his nephew, 
Jack Phillips lives on Government Road, and his brother worked. His brother was Jim, and he worked with Harry in that store, so they could give you information. He could maybe give you some other information about things in Lampton too. Mm -hmm. that, uh, now, were there any blacksmiths or harness makers? There were two blacksmith shops. Yes, one run by a man named Cullum, uh, right opposite uh, on the on the hill, towards the top of the hill, the west of Amber, uh, right opposite what is now Kingsway Crescent. I think it was called Fisher's Road in those days, and the other one. Other blacksmith shop was run by uh, Thomas Colton. It looked about a hundred yards further west from where the Cullum blacksmith was. Uh, was there a harness maker? Because a lot there of horses. Two, yes, there were two uh, harness makers: Harry Brines and uh, I forget Mr. Rogers. I could get his first name too. I don't remembered offhand. They were, Harry Brines was on the north side of Dundas, just a little bit east of Prince Edward, and Rogers was on Dundas, just above where the Gulf oil station is there now. It was later, then it, he sold out to Pickett's Nursery after that. They were there till about 10 years ago. 12 years ago. Now, um, you were about, uh, when World War II started, I guess you're about the right age to to go in the war, um, be drafted, or uh, what? No, they weren't, they weren't drafting at that time, no. No, I was, uh, I was, uh, what, 19, I guess. I was 19, I guess, when I first joined the, we had a, a, a rifle club, which uh, a man who was quite a patriot in the village organized shortly after the war started, and had uh, quite a number of the young fellows in, and we had uh, members of the, some from the 48th Islanders, and another one from the Queen's Own who were acted as instructors and so on. And we, we used to do a little drill, but it was mainly for uh, rifle practice and we were organized. Now, who, who was this, uh, who organized it? A uh, man named uh, David Howell. Had he been in the uh, army beforehand? I don't, I don't, not that I know of, but he was, uh, at that time, he was fairly hard of hearing, but he was uh, quite enthusiastic about getting things, anything you know, he could to uh, get things or organized because they started from when the war broke out. They just, they just had the militia regiments, hardly any, very small uh, permanent force. So they had to depend on the militia units to recruit other battalions and then so he's, he organized this 
I mean, that get the young chaps interested, get some practice, get some training, and, and uh, they'd be there. For, you know, that gave them the they'd have some training before they joined the militia. Then, and it was uh, actually from that club there was about at least a dozen, I think, that went down and joined the 48th in about August 1915. And then uh, about towards the end of that year in December they started recruiting for the 134th Battalion, which was the third overseas battalion raised by the 48th Highlanders. So we had a we put a good representation from the Lampton district. How many people would you say would be in this rifle club? Oh, I I would say there's somewhere around 30 to 30 to 40. I don't know whether they kept a record of the whether anybody would have the records now, but I would say around 30 to 40 probably. Well, where would you practice? I mean, uh, Pretty dangerous. In the summertime, we practiced in a spot called the Shale Pit on the east side of uh, Prince Edward Drive, just south of the present Kingsway Lampton or Lampton Kingsway School. It wasn't. There were very few houses in that immediate area at that time, and it was uh, quite a it was quite a space, you know, down, it was down quite low where it had all been dug out. So they were able to set, set up targets in there and carry on. In the wintertime, we, we, the old mill had ceased operation, the flour mill, had, and after operating as a tea garden for a while, I, they also had closed. I think they had a fire around about 1915, which pretty well destroyed the possibility of carrying on as a tea garden. But there were buildings to the rear of that which uh, they had used for some purpose. And they were able to set up uh, targets in there, those carry on in the wintertime. Those buildings don't stand anymore? No, I, no. No, I think there's apartment buildings down there now. How did, uh, how did people feel about, about World War One? They, they eager for Canada to send people over to, to help in the, the conflict, or did they want to stay out of it? <clears throat> no, this area they were all they were all very strongly behind you know, getting into the especially there were there were some uh, there were some fellows in this area who were already in the militia when the war started, but it went immediately with the first uh, battalions to go over. But uh, after that it was a case of recruiting, raising new new battalions. But no, they know this part all through, I guess all through Ontario, anywhere in the west as well, and where uh, quite enthusiastic about doing their part. Are there any uh, 
any people that made made a, a lot of noise about not wanting to uh, participate? Were there any serious objectors? No, not in this area. No, no, I don't think I don't think there was any problem at all. That way, no, they were no, they were quite. Of course, this was largely in, in those days. It was largely uh, people here had come from from Great Britain. Most of them, you know. Uh, English, Scotch, and Irish. Now, um, how about yourself? You were of fighting age, uh, as they would call it, I suppose. And in any war, it's people of fighting age that die. How did you feel about it personally? Well, I knew. Uh, I knew some of the fellows that had already gone overseas. And no, I had no second thoughts about that if I was eligible that that's what I wanted to do. How about when it was all over? Did you, did you feel uh, uh, that it was something, did you still feel it had, had to be something that had to be done? Or did you have second thoughts about it after, after the conflict? No, I think at the, uh, when the finished, I think at that time we thought that, you know, that, that would be, that would have ended all wars. All right, you, you, a few years later he found out it didn't. You went overseas personally? Yes. And uh, you are with the, what, the 134th? Uh, left here was the 134th, but then uh, were transferred to the 15th Battalion. Battalion. From England, that we put in. Uh, we were about uh, moved around. I think we we trained at the University Avenue Armories when we uh, first were recruited until uh, that was in December of 1915. Up until uh, about March, I guess. And then they, uh, and we just went down, lived at home, and went down and to the armories, trained every day on University Avenue. And I think it was in March they uh, moved us into uh, the horticultural building in the exhibition grounds. And we stayed there till uh, about the early part of May. And they moved us over to Niagara, which they had used as a uh, Militia had used it for years as a, you know, a summer training camp. Then from there we moved in uh, late June, after about six or seven weeks, they moved us up to Camp Borden, which uh, had just been opened as a new camp, a new training ground for the militia forces. And we were there till early August, about six or seven weeks, and we were sent over to England. And after about another six or seven weeks there, we two companies of the uh, 134 were transferred to the 15th Battalion, uh, who had uh, they had just uh, finished their battles in the around the Somme. River and had 
lot of heavy casualties. So they needed a lot of reinforcements. So that's, that's uh, they sent us over there in November to the 15th Battalion. Now what, uh, what was your, uh, your rank? Just private. Private. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you end up seeing action there? Or? Oh yes, I was there. That was November 1916, and I was I was there right till with them till the fin war ended. Do you mind me asking? Through, pardon? Do you mind me asking what it was like? Uh, uh, no, it was uh, the first uh, first winter was. Uh, in the trenches, and they weren't, there were mud and water, cold. We had uh, chalk tunnels there that we could go in when we were off duty. We'd, we'd be on duty so many hours up on the front line as, you know, on sentry posts, but, and then you'd be off, you could go down into this chalk tunnel wasn't very warm, but it was out of the the cold. Do you remember the uh, your f first first day and when there was actually any fighting? Well, we were there all winter on that part, and there were there was always a bit of raiding going on back and forward, and they were tunneling. They were tunneling from. Each side was tunneling. I guess at that point, uh, lines would maybe be a uh, hundred yards apart or a couple of hundred yards. And they were both tunneling. They had en engineers, of course, on the job. They were tunneling underneath to get over if they could under the other side lines. And they used to manage to get over, and they'd blow them, blow them up. I think they sometimes they could uh, detect things that were going on. You know, they, of course, today with their with their uh, improvements today in uh, picking up sounds and all that kind of stuff, it, you know, you'd find it a lot earlier than they did. But they used to they used to blow up sometimes in between the lines. Have big craters there that you could put a house into. The, uh, after the war and when you came back, um, um, how did people treat you? Well, they were treated, well, they were all very happy, very glad, you know, to have big uh, get-togethers, parties, one thing or another, but no, they were all uh, big crowds out to see them. How did you uh, feel when you got back? <coughs> tickled to death <laughs> because I had been very fortunate. We'd lost a lot, quite a few of the fellows that went away with us. But uh, it took a while to kind of get settled down to civil civilian life again. But how how so? What we couldn't sleep at nights or. No, I, not too too much that way. But I don't know. We'd been in big groups with so many y'all together all the time that you know 
took uh, oh, it took a little while to get and I get back to work. Of course, my my job was there when I came back. To, the company gave the, everybody that came back still got their jobs back, you know, because mm. they had they didn't have to replace a lot that left because business, of course, would be fall off a lot. So it was a case of going back to the job and getting inside again all the time after being used to outside. It was kind of tough for a few months, but I went back for back to work for uh, for a few months, and I decided I better take another week or two holidays. I was finding it kind of, you know. Uh, a little bit tough getting used to being inside. Uh, your health? No, I just, no, it didn't bother me too much, my health, but just, uh, you know, I couldn't explain it, I don't think, how, but I just felt that I needed a change for a week or two. Uh, where, where were you working? At uh, Gordon Mackay and Company Limited, their wholesale dry goods general wholesalers. And when you came back, you moved back into the family, your family's house? Yes. Yeah. When did you move out of there? Uh, we still lived there, of course, uh, until uh, 1969. And that's when you moved when into we this? Moved up to your current house here, this, yes. White Great Oak. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Etobicoke Historical Society's Oral History Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and like. If you wish to learn more about the work of our society, be sure to visit www.etobicokehistorical.com. See you next month.